You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. Uh, our message, uh, our message today will be a, a little bit heavy, uh, and at the same time, I suppose that's to be expected when we talk about the death of Christ. Um, last week, Pastor Tim spoke on Jesus' words, I thirst. And this week, uh, we're going to conclude our series on the seven words, the seven statements that changed the world with it is finished. And I, and I, I want to set this up properly. And so I think I can only do that by, by going through and including a little bit of what likely occurred uh, just hours before Jesus spoke these words, it is finished. There are many who have written on this execution method. Uh, Many authors, and and I encourage you to read, I encourage you to understand what our Savior went through. Uh, But this is what one author wrote, so bear with me, please. He says, The executioner laid the crossbeam behind Jesus and brought him to the ground quickly by grasping his arm and pulling him backward. And as soon as Jesus fell, the beam was fitted under the back of his neck, and on each side, soldiers quickly knelt on the inside of his elbows. The thorns pressed against his torn scalp, and with his right hand, the executioner would probe the wrist to find the little hollow area. And when he found it, he took one of the square-cut iron nails... And he raised the hammer over the nail head and brought it down with force. Two soldiers then grabbed each side of the cross beam and they lifted and they pulled him up. And as they dragged Jesus by the wrist, with every breath he groaned. And when the soldiers reached the upright, the four of them began to lift the cross beam higher and higher until the feet of Jesus were, on, were off the ground. The body writhed in pain. When the cross beam was set firmly, the executioner knelt before the cross, and two children, uh, two soldiers hurried to help. Each one took a hold of a leg at the calf. And the ritual was to uh, put the right foot over the left foot. And this was probably the most difficult part of the task, because if the feet were pulled downward and secured more closer to the base of the cross, the prisoner always died too quickly. Over the years, uh, the Romans learned to do this execution in a little bit more effective way that kept the prisoner hanging on. And so that the condemned man could lean on the nails and stretch himself upward to breathe, the excruciating pain accompanied every upward push for breath and every downward release from fatigue, and each movement cut deeper into bone and tendon and raw muscle. I'm going to stop there because uh, it's, it's an intense image that goes on. I'm going to let, let me adjust our focus just a, a little bit. Um, this January, my wife and I, Cheryl, had the opportunity to take a trip, uh, a life-changing trip, uh, to the Holy Land, and it was an amazing experience. 
an adventure from uh, beginning to end. We, we started in the southern region of Israel, uh, down into the wilderness known as the Negev, moving our way up uh, all the way into the most northern regions of Israel, uh, to the borders of uh, Syria and Lebanon, uh, near, near the base of Mount Hermon where the Jordan River begins. And it was just an amazing trip, and I want to encourage you that if you ever have a call to want to go there, I promise you it will be worth it. Just go, make the plans, and go. Find somebody who will lead this trip and go, because it'll be, well, it'll be like taking that, that black and white book that we read. And we love, the, we love our Bible, but it will open up in brilliant color and brilliant relationship. And it will be a lifetime experience that you will not forget. So uh, when people come back from these, I imagine one of the main, tr- one of the main uh, questions that happens uh, to anybody coming back from a pilgrimage like this, like it did me, like it did my wife when she goes to work and she's asked about it, what was the most impactful? What was the b- greatest thing that went on there? What was the biggest moment? Was it, uh, what was it the, the place where uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem? All these places are marked out. Was it the Jordan River and, and, a, uh, and the baptisms that occurred there? And we certainly experienced baptisms in our group. Um, was it uh, Masada? Was it uh, the site of Jesus' crucifixion and, 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 and area of, of where he was laid? Um, was it the Temple Mount experience? All those options, all those experiences, incredible. But every time I'm asked that question, I know my answer immediately. My answer is um, my time on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I say that because it was here where the Son submitted in complete and ultimate obedience to the Father. It was here in the garden, in full knowledge of what was to come, that Jesus asked his Father, if it is possible, please let this cup pass. Please let this cup pass from me. Because he was innocent. And he knew the debt to be paid was great. You know, in an attempt to try to understand or make sense of this father-son relationship, I think of my own experience uh, when I when I left home after uh, after high school and entered the army. And I remember some of the words that my father spoke to me of encouragement and 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 letting me know, Jack, I believe in you. You're going to do great on your own. I, I can't go with you on this, but you're going to be okay. It's going to be good. I remember the first time my oldest boy, probably ten or eleven, now went off to camp for the summer. I said something similar to him. I said, I can't be with you, Winter, but, but I, I believe in you. You're going to do great. You're prepared. It's going to be fun. Up to this point, you see, my son had always been kept safe. He'd always been kept with me, with our family, with friends. But up to this point in the garden, Jesus had always escaped all harm. Many times in the gospel accounts, they reveal how leaders uh, tried to seize him, and they attempted to kill him, stone him, um, throw him off a cliff even. And he was in a state of constant danger. But his father had always protected him. His friends had always surrounded him, and this time would be very different. And Jesus knew it. I, th- I think about just trying to imagine the private conversation in the garden as we're told, as we read, Jesus is sweating blood. I, and I, I'm imagining a conversation between a son and a father. Son, I need you to do this. 
And Jesus saying, I'm afraid, Abba, I'm afraid. I don't want to. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the father saying, I know, but you must trust me. Your time on earth has prepared you, and, and I need you to do this, and I need you to do this alone. During my, uh, during our, my time uh, when we were in, in, in Israel, and we were in this garden area, and there's churches built on all these different sites. Um, in the area specifically of the garden where uh, there were stones, they call it the Basilica of Agony. And... It's, it's a church literally built over these rocks that uh, Jesus is believed to have been praying to his father. And we were encouraged by our guide who uh, did a brilliant job. He's also a Bible translator. He's so informed. It was an amazing experience. But we were encouraged to just sit. And we weren't rushed. We were encouraged to just sit, pray, journal if you'd like. Uh, whatever that might look like, and I, and I did. I, I journaled, and it was, again, the most impactful place I had experienced while I was there. And I thought about it because up until this point, Jesus had gotten out of all harm. And now his dad begs him, please. Maybe he begs his dad. He says, please, let this cup pass, but not my will, because he knew he had to trust. And he did trust. It was the first time that he would experience pain. It was the first time that he may perceive that his dad had let him down. But no, his dad didn't let him down. His father needed to use him. All other times, his father protected him and answers his plea of prayer, and he kept him safe, and this time he wouldn't. Jesus chose to continue anyway, on his own, And he was given a task by his father to complete. And bravely he moves forward. And he falls into the deep trap of unforgiving, unrelenting pain, abuse, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional abuse. Jesus was completely alone without his friends or his father. And there is, there's, and in this moment, this, this, some of the things I was writing on, in this moment as I walk out of this basilica then and near the garden that's fenced in and we're surrounding olive trees, there's a small sign there. And on this small sign, along with a few other things, it, it read this. And I just thought it was beautiful. It said, In love and gratitude, I want to say in times of my fear and distress, my father, I do not understand you, but I trust you. Let us trust our Father. We don't always understand his ways, but let us trust. And when Jesus utters those words, it is finished, can we trust that? It is finished. Those words came from John 19, uh, verse 30. And last week when Pastor Tim was reading them, I was reminded, okay, was reminded i, I got to preach today. I was reminded of that one first. But then I was reminded also that... Uh, that the incredible trust, and I went back to look at my journal, and I, I, it is finished. What does that mean? Uh, these words uh, do not specify the end of Jesus' life, but they actually specify the completion of a task. Um, the action that is, that is represented there, it is finished. It meant that the purpose of his hour had been completed, the consequences of his work are enduring, and when we look up the original text in Greek, 
we see a word uh, that's pronounced uh, tetelestai. And tetelestai, which I had the spelling up there, but tetelestai, it, it, it means, it means it's, it's paid in full. It's a common word that you might have heard uh, if you were back in those days, you would hear that uh, commonly stated in areas of um, where, where merchants would gather, where merchandise was being traded. It implied the debt was being paid in full. And so when he gave himself up on the cross, Jesus fully, demand, fully fulfilled the debt of the law because our debt was paid in full. Tetelestai, paid in full. And when I think of that, that changed my, that changed my thinking a little bit. Because what I, what I started to read further was there, there's probably somewhere in the neighborhood, there, there, at least from my understanding, there's several benefits to tetelestai, this benefit. Uh, there's several benefits to it is paid in full. Not just it is finished, but it's paid in full. One of those, atonement for sin. What do I mean by that? Atonement for sin. Christ's death was a one-time event that took care of sins forever. So when Jesus returns, he brings salvation to those waiting for him. Atonement for sin. Uh, Hebrews 9.24 explains, uh, For Christ entered heaven, offered himself to God as a sacrifice for our sin. He doesn't do this every year as the high priest did under the old plan with blood that was not their own. That if that were the case, he would have to sacrifice himself repeatedly throughout the course of history. So it is finished implies instead he sacrificed himself once and for all and this summed up all other sacrifices. It is finished. Tetelestai. The debt is paid in full. Number two, he conquered death. Tetelestai implies he conquered death. It is finished. Hebrews 2 uh, states this in, in, in verse 14. We are all made of flesh and blood. Jesus was too. And so that through his death as a man, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. One commentator, actually, uh, John MacArthur, uh, if, if you... Ever pick up any Christian literature, I encourage you to, if you ever see John MacArthur, it's okay to read him. He's, he's good. Uh, he's, he's reliable. Um, John MacArthur, Pastor John, uh, has written and spoken, and um, anytime I have an opportunity to have a book from his, I always read it. But he said this in a commentary on Hebrews. He writes this of Jesus' death. He said, we see the extent of Christ's humiliation in his death. Angels cannot die, but Jesus came to die. He went so far beneath the angels that he did something they could never do. His death was not easy or costless. It was a suffering death. Christ's exit from the land of the living was not calm and peaceful, but it was accompanied by an outward torture and an inner agony. What Jesus felt while dying on the cross was the total agony of every soul in hell for all eternity put together. Suffered in a few hours. All the punishment for all the sin of all time, and he was guilty of no sin. Yet he suffered for all sin. John MacArthur. A third benefit to knowing that it is finished. 
the granted acceptance by God. We read of this, of course, in Ephesians. Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 3, um, it begins with, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor. Amen. And finally, last but certainly not least, is the assurance of salvation. Probably the one I like the most because the reading I'm going to share with you comes from John chapter 10. And it's the image of sheep hearing their master's voice. And it brings me back again to my time that I got got to be in Israel, and there certainly were herds of sheep, and there certainly were shepherds. But the assurance of salvation, as we read Jesus' words in uh, John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30, says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Atonement for sin, conquered death, acceptance by God, and assurance of salvation. Those are the benefits that I understand in it is finished. So how do we respond to this completion? to the obedience of our Savior on a cross that satisfied our great sin debt. Jesus knew that he had fulfilled what was required. That's why he said the debt is paid in full. It is finished. He knew that his obedience was complete and no more payment would be needed to tell us die. It is finished. Jesus knew that because of his physical sacrifice and the work that he'd accomplished on earth, no more labor would be necessary. The thief would be with him in paradise. You and I, all our perfections, all our selfishness, all of our sin would be erased, and we would be welcomed back into paradise as well because it is finished. Repent and believe. Amen? Amen. It is finished. So what do we do with that? We admit brokenness. We believe in the gift that's been granted. And we choose to commit change in our lives to honor the gift given. Live your life changed. Live your life changed. And where do we find the guidance of what that should look like? Fred read it earlier. You can find it right in Philippians. went something like this, Philippians 2. In humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. If you're a youth that comes on Wednesday nights at Trinity Lutheran Church to the cross, we know what this means. It means to be third. It means we put God the Father as number one. 
We put the needs of others in front of our own. And by default, we become third. That's the challenge. Is the price too high for the gift that was paid for us? Be third. Commit to change and live the rest of your life and the rest of your days for Christ. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. It's not just something fun to say. It's something we're called to do. Honor his gift. We're called to honor his gift with our time, with our talents, with our earnings, with our attention. We're called to honor his gift with our time, and that hopefully means more than just sitting on a Sunday morning. We're called to honor his gift with our talents, and I hope that means more than just using our talents for our own selfish gain, but it's using them for the benefit of others. We're called to honor his gift with our earnings, and I hope that means more than pulling the change out of the ashtray of the car like I used to. That's all I had for the offering plate. You know, I get, well, I always have more in my pocket, but I'm going to give what doesn't really matter. And I hope that honoring that gift, it is paid in full to tell us die. It is finished. It means more attention to the Father. Focus on Him. Being there for others. Going through life being third, as Christ did. Let this not be too much to ask. Please pray with me. Holy Father, it is always, always, always a gift to stand here and talk to my brothers and sisters. Thank you. I ask you to bless each one in here. I ask you to bless each one in here with an understanding of your love for them that is unending, of the debt that has been paid for each of their lives, Father. And I ask you to help us to have the courage to live our lives for you. Let us live our lives in a way that honors the gift that was paid in full. Father, your word reminds us that through, uh, through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. But so also, through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Father, we thank you for your gift of righteousness. We thank you for your gift. We ask you to bless us as we go forward and bless others. Bless our church, Father. Let us be people who honor your gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.